my reflections today arise out of the Old Testament reading, uh, where we hear the story of David, who has achieved victory and carved out a very respectable Middle Eastern kingdom in the, out, out of the ancient world, and has rest from his enemies, and he's now sitting back in a house made of cedar and feeling pretty good about what the Lord has done, and he looks over and sees the ark, which is the place of God's holiness that has gone into battle for many, many years and has brought the presence of God with the Israelites. And he says, it's still in a tent. And why do I get to be in a palace while God's ark is in a tent? And so, meaning very well, he says, I'm going to make a proper house for God's glory, for God's presence, for the ark. And uh, so Nathan the prophet, what do you think about this? Nathan says, seems fine to me, do what you like. And then Nathan goes away, and then God comes to Nathan and says, actually, not okay, go tell David that it's not going to happen. And so David, uh, Nathan comes back to David with this prophecy that we heard today, um, which essentially says, um, I didn't ask you to build me something, and who do you think you are for building me something? And I'll tell you what, I'm going to build you something. You're not the builder, I'm the builder. And so we, so we get the story, and this is why David did not build the temple, and it got left to David's heir, Solomon, to do that. And so the question, of course, is why, why was that important to God? God had made David great. He's the greatest king. He's still the greatest king of Israel that ever was. Why not bring it all together that the reign of David also brought about the temple? What, why was it important for, uh, for David not to build the temple? And um, you could look in Chronicles for an answer. Um, in Chronicles, it says the reason that David didn't build the, the temple is that his hands were too bloody. And I, he did a lot of war and conquest and so forth, and so he was not appropriate to be the one who built the temple. That should be a man of peace, presumably. I'm reading into the text now because all it says is, your hands are too bloody. Um, and um, I also note that this is Solomon's temple where the main act of worship was a bloody sacrifice of animals. So the presence of blood is not necessarily uh, something that, uh, that seems to disqualify David. So, so I'm putting that to one side. The, the chronicler has its own interpretation uh, of why this happened. And I'm going to go with what it says in Kings, which is what we're reading today. And, and what it says here is that it's, 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 a, it's a complicated and a subtle point, that it's it's not for you to do this, and who do you think you are is really the point, that this is not your job, this is my job. And so in my, my thought experiment, suppose David had built the temple in, during his reign. I've finished the conquer, conquering the neighboring area, areas, I'm now going to build the temple, and this will be God's kingdom that I have inaugurated. Um, I think the, the problem with that is that it would have forever been David's temple, David's kingdom, David's temple, David's land, David's country. And God was building something that was different from David's stuff. David was a big part of God's plan, but it wasn't all about David. And it couldn't be all about David. And furthermore, it couldn't be all about the stuff that gets built. If the temple is going to be the place where the, the holiness of God is going to be, then, um, then God had a bigger plan than that temple. 3,000 years later, in hindsight, we can see what that history looked like. First of all, that temple only lasted three, 400 years until the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. So the Temple of Solomon was gone. And then the Israelites were in exile for 70 years in Babylon, and then they came back to Israel and they built the second temple. 
And that temple was the place where God's holiness was. No ark, but still the temple, still sacrifices. And it was a, a recognized uh, monument of the ancient world. People would go there on pilgrimages, even if they weren't Jewish. Um, and then it lasted until 70 AD when the Romans sacked it and destroyed it. So there were two temples. Both of them had a limited lifespan. They ended up being destroyed. So where is God's holiness? And what was God building? And so, the, so where our imagination, I believe, is, is being pushed is that what God is building is not a physical temple. It is not even a single symbol. It is something more enduring than that. It's a covenant of some sort. It's a, it's a that I'm going to build you a house. And when God says, I'm building you a house, the word house is not a physical house. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphorical house. It's the line of David. It's going to be an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom. And so when we take that as a metaphor for what God was building, we can start to see where the Christians came in afterward and said that king, that throneship of David, led to the, the development of the idea of a Messiah who will come and reclaim the throne of David or re reinaugurate it. And we believe that Jesus did that, although in a completely new way. And so Jesus inherited all the promises about the Davidic kingdom, but in a spiritualized way. And so the kingdom that God was building through Jesus is a spiritual kingdom. And so we have the reflection in Ephesians that talks about how this spiritual reality brings together Jew and Gentile and how it's built on the foundation of the law and the prophets and then Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone and I'm making shapes with my hands because it's ancient engineering, it's arch-based technology. So the foundations are down here and you build up and up and you build it up towards a cornerstone, a keystone, which goes in the top, it has to be the strongest stone and that supports the weight. And then you have an arch, which is the foundation of a building. And then the writer of Ephesians talks about how that becomes uh, the, the building block of a temple into which we as human beings are being built. And so this temple becomes spiritualized. We, we the people of Jesus, are being built into a spiritual temple. And so the holy place, the place where God dwells, is right here. This, this is where God is. And so this notion of building a temple to God, number one, it's not something that we do. It's something that God is doing. And number two, it's something that exists spiritually, far more profoundly than physically. And I am aware of the irony of preaching this sermon when we are raising money for our hall. <laughs> I am absolutely aware of that. And so I, I, I preach to me and to you and say it's not about the hall. The holiness of God is not about this building and plant as beautiful and as symbolic and as sacramental as it is. And I believe all of those things. This is a holy place and it's a holy building and it's a holy symbol. This whole plant is holy. It symbolizes what God is doing in our community. But the real dwelling place of God is in the community itself. That's where God is alive. That's where God is active. That's where the holiness is. And in the end, the symbol participates in that, but it points toward that underlying spiritual sacramental reality, which is what God is building. Now I'm going to take one little more step and then I'll be done. So we've got the spiritual image of the, the temple as a, as a symbolic notion. But the temple, of course, is the place where God lives. It's, the, it's where the holiness dwells, where God dwells. And so that notion of where God dwells gets developed in our tradition to be within the church. We, we as a community are the place where God's holiness dwells. There are other ways in which that notion of holiness um, uh, is talked about in our tradition. And so I'm going to go from the corporate to the individual. 
Corporately, God is among us. Individually, the temple of God is our heart. It's the, and, and the heart in the ancient sense, not the muscle that's pumping blood, but the core of our being, the center of our spiritual reality, who we are. That's the temple of God. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. That's where God is. So this paradigm of saying, who do you think you are about what you think you're building? I'm the builder here, and I have a bigger plan than you can possibly imagine, applies to the development of holiness in our lives as much as historically and symbolically and physically. So that, that prophecy to David about who do you think you are, you're not the builder, you don't get to build me a house, I build you a house, applies to each of us in our spiritual journeys as well. We have things that we are building. We think for all the best reasons we are going to develop something. We're going to develop a ministry or a, a purpose in life or something we're going to do to make the world a better place. All those things are things that we want to build and think we ought to build for all the right reasons. But the, the, the prophecy forces us to take that from another angle and ask, who is the real builder here? And so the question changes. It's not so much what are we building, but what is God building through us? And how can we participate in something bigger than our own ideas, plans, aspirations, no matter how good they are? So the, the spiritual life involves our plans and our aspirations and our goals and our best efforts and our work towards what we believe to be God is doing. But without that continued reference point to you know, what really is God doing? And maybe I don't have the full perspective here is the necessary ingredient as we go through our lives. Because sometimes we think we're doing what God is doing, what, what God wants, and God has a bigger plan than that. Just like the temple. Solomon's temple was built, lasted 300 and some years, got destroyed. End of story. Failure? No. Success? God was doing something through that temple, but the temple wasn't what it was all about. And thus it is with our plans. But for the destruction of the first temple, the Israelites would never have gone into exile, and the exile would never have been the uh, profoundly creative period in Israelite history that it was. And, and but for the destruction of the second temple, uh, rabbinic Judaism would not have developed in the direction that it did. And so God's purposes continued to work despite what seemed to be the collapse of where God lived. And thus it is in our spiritual life. Sometimes the collapse of what we think God built, what we think we built for God's glory, is yet more developments along something that God is continuing to build. And the theological perspective is always, where is God in this, in even this? So the destruction of our internal temples, the, the, what we think we're building and what we don't get to build, all of that becomes that reference point for, uh, for the theological approach, which is to say, even in this, where is God? Because maybe I don't really know what's going on, and maybe I need to open my heart in prayer and, and be open to something new taking place out of the ashes of what I thought I was building for God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.